So these minisodes, yeah? Hi, hello and welcome. This is Maya and this is a by all means necessary minisode. <laughs> I know it's hard to take me seriously when I'm dressed as a as a human carrot, but listen, this hoodie belongs to me and I belong to this hoodie and this is it. You cannot break this relationship apart. So as I started saying, these minisodes are usually a storage place of patterns that I spot while researching the cases on different things, from cannibalism, reincarnation, acid attacks, how to get away with murder, all of the good stuff really you could say. But sometimes they're gonna feature the women that empowered and changed the true crime industry, genre, whatever you wanna call it. And today is one such day, because again, everything just collided and connected. Probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are also true crime fans became true crime fans because of the TV shows. Criminal Minds as a personal preference, but then I also did watch CSI. The team chemistry was just not on point, and that was so, so annoying. The show as a whole was alright, it wasn't bad, but there was one particular plot on that show that still, to this day, blows my mind. Even if you have never watched CSI, but are listening to this, watch the episodes on The Miniature Killer. Even to this day, this is the best plot on a true crime show that I have seen, like, hands down. It's about this killer, I'm not gonna reveal no genders or anything, so it's about a killer that commits a murder and then leaves a little miniature scene of a crime on that murder, and they are meticulous, like every single thing should technically give you a clue, but it's basically a replica of a scene of a crime, and the blood is the real victim's blood on those miniatures. And then obviously CSI takes that over and then, you know, looks for, for different patterns. And then there's a plot where she, you know, sort of attacks like a team member or whatnot and starts sending them even before being like, hey, hey, guess whose house is this? And it's just the most tantalizing and the best plot on a fucking TV show. Even watching this today in 2020, I was like, this was mind-blowing. So, of course, when on one of my Facebook pages, because I only go on Facebook now to follow podcast pages or true crime content just for something new to pop up into my field that I haven't seen. So somebody posted about this woman making miniatures of true crime things. And I was like, wait, this reminds me of this plot. Like, I bet CSI was based, but who was this woman? And boy, when I discovered it, I was impressed. I was shook. I was this story just needs to be told. And then I saw how many podcast episodes actually covered it, and I was like, this is nothing. There's literally like two or three episodes that covered this, so I was like, hello? Are we, are we all okay? Why are we not appreciating the works of Frances Glasner Lee? That's who I'm talking to you about today. She has been dubbed the mother of forensics, or the mother of forensic science. And her works are still, to this day, used to solve crime and teach detectives about how to spot different clues and how to just piece everything together. Because, again, her miniatures are meticulous. Like, the details, I have tried analyzing a few, and I was just like... <laughs> Oh, I would suck at this profession, like, I can tell you that. So, what you can expect out of this episode is for me to tell you about Frances Glasner Lee, her life, her work, and then we're gonna analyze one of her little miniatures, just to see, just to test your skills as much as mine, although I will have the clues because I have found them, but you know, let's dive in. Let me fully flex these carrots for the camera. 
So Glessner Lee called her work of dioramas, and dioramas are models representing a scene with three-dimensional figures, either in miniature or as a large-scale museum exhibit. I'll post this on the screen, but it is technically the exact same thing if you have seen the CSI plot for the miniature killer. You can see it from every angle, you can see all of the different clues, and I'll talk into further detail of like what she has actually done to make everything as realistic as possible as it would be on an actual crime scene. And she called these dioramas the nutshell studies because the purpose of the forensic investigation is said to be to convict the guilty, clear the innocent, and find the truth in a nutshell. I just love that. Like, that was so simple and just... Oh. She loved Sherlock Holmes. Only only the, the decent people. <laughs> the decent lot likes Sherlock Holmes and respects him. Even though it was written by a complete fucking nutter that is Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, and you can guess who I'm not gonna make an episode on once. Arthur Conan Doyle. Although he did get a few mentions out of my older episodes. Cool. Frances Glessner Lee. She was born in Chicago in 1878. That's how far we are going today. She was actually born in wealth. Well, rather, her dad was kind of an industrialist, but then became wealthy from this company, International Harvester. But obviously, because it was the 1800s, her brother actually went to Harvard, but no, she was just supposed to, again, stay at home, become a housewife one day, get married. But no, Frances knew better. She did marry, though, and she married a lawyer, but... I put the marriage ended in divorce like every other rags to power story. Yes, yes, just like every other women's rags to power story. There's no man behind women. Men, they need women behind them because women are just rational and they just understand how to make decisions. The other way around, mm -mm, that isn't how life works. I didn't read this in the book, okay? Don't fucking quote me on it or actually quote me on it, but yeah. <laughs> In early 1930s, she began a career in legal medicine, and she inherited all of her dad's fortune, and this is when she finally realized, like, let me invest it into something I actually care about. During this time, also, she became friends with George Burgess Margraff, a Harvard medical student, who later became chief medical examiner in Massachusetts. And it is through this friend that she really got interested into forensics, into seeing forensics, how difficult it is to solve different mysterious cases. And in part, like, that, the difficulty lies that there is the lack of training in just methodology and spotting clues and just working with what you have. So from witness statements to what you actually have to, like, how you found the crime scene, when did you find it, all of that. So in 1952, in the Journal of Criminal Law, Criminology and Police Science, she actually emphasized the importance of keeping an open mind. She said, quote, far too often the investigator has a hunch and looks for and finds only the evidence to support it, disregarding any other evidence that may be present. The attitude would be calamitous in investigating an actual case, end quote. So that's like often we talk about the tunnel vision in these cases, so that's sort of what she was referring to here. So now, with all of this money, she helps found the Department of Legal Medicine at Harvard in 1931, and she would later donate, like, money, financial contributions, the books to the Margraf Library. She would host dinners for investigators and listen to them talk about cases. So she was kind of, you know, a sleuth from day one, just getting more and more immersed by the day, kind of like people that listen to hundreds of podcasts nowadays. 
And during now talking to actual people that are on the scenes of the crimes, these crime investigators, she realized that there is a gap in the market and that the culprit in these actual cases is the lack of the training tools. And she was like, you know what? I have the money. I'm going to change the fucking world. Yes, Francis. I can just imagine how badass this would be, you know, 1940s, 50s. And you're like, oh, having an interview with Francis Lee. And you're like, oh, what have you accomplished? I can see you didn't even go to uni. You're a housewife. Like, stay a housewife. It's like, what's the gap in the market that you here filled? And she's just like, oh, well, <laughs> so silly. But, you know, I've just, I mean, I've only done like 20 dioramas that kind of help solve crimes, you know, not a big deal or anything. They're kind of just used for police training, not not bragging, but kind of it changed the world. You know, you could say that I have filled certain gaps in the market, and then just drops the mic and leaves the scene, and it's like, yeah, bitches, fucking deal with it. I don't need your job. I have my own job. No, totally not aspiring towards this in any way, shape, or form, no. And as you can see from these dioramas, every single thing is paid so much attention for. My personal favorites are the one in the attic because it's apparently is it like a murder or suicide so they really need to decide on everything taking again every single piece of detail into consideration see this crime scene and figure out what is going on so there is this scene in the attic where well everything is in this array it looks like the woman was in the middle of something and then it's apparent like suicide but then the the noose kind of seems very loose and it also seems like one of her shoes has fallen off her feet and the other one is kind of also just dangling about and you would be like well why would you put shoes to commit suicide so it's all about that kind of thinking then another one where she put Sherlock's books the sign of the four and it's just how much detail is paid to every single case all of the shelves like in these kitchens in these rooms are filled with like actual products of the time newspapers again have the titles of like the events that were going on during that time Everything just looks fitting, but not just that, but the locks, like mouse traps, every single thing actually works. Like you can kind of like, with the oven, you can actually see, was it open? Was it broken? There's like a scene with the ironing board and the iron. You can see that the iron was on, so like she was in the middle of doing this. Like with everything, you can see like what was supposed to be working, what wasn't, and then make deductions from that. But possibly the absolute best and I have no clue how I knew how she know about this because of like who she was talking with and conversing with but how did she even make these dolls like she was suing them she was making them from scratch I know that but in a sense of everything from clothing bloodstains decomposition, rigos mortis, so like how would the body be positioned? The one we are going to analyze is a bathroom picture. And again, I haven't spotted certain things with it, just again, because you lack the knowledge of it. But also, it's just how she managed those dolls that were technically made out of cloths to just appear in different stages that the body would appear under certain circumstances. She was a freaking genius. So throughout the 1940s and 50s, she hosted a series of semi-annual seminars in homicide investigation. So everybody from the industry would come for a week-long conference. This included detectives, prosecutors, other investigators. And she would present them with nutshell studies of unexplained death. So there were 20 models of these dioramas. 
and they were based on the challenging cases and were designed to test the abilities of the students to collect all relevant evidence. All of them were based on actual crime scenes and the autopsies that Lee visited herself. It was different era, okay? I understand that somebody today would not be able to do this. You wouldn't be able to just go to any autopsy, you know, be like, 2020, yeah, show me how this body looks like or just participate in true crime investigations. So I get that this is a different time, but still, just knowing that you can do that and then going on and doing it and making sure it changes how everything is done today is badass. And people were immediately stunned just by the extraordinary detail that she would go to because of what they would again find on the scenes. Especially people were impressed by the discoloration or bloating that would be present because again, as I mentioned, she made these dolls herself and she would just nail the colors the bodies would be in. So, for example, reproducing the effects of carbon monoxide poisoning and positioning them based on when the rigor mortis took effect. So, for example, there is this one that I'm going to go a bit into detail that's called Kitchen 1944. So, just to give you an idea of how she would present this. So, technically, you will get like a statement of what has happened. You get witness statements and then you would just get the miniature and be like, figure out the clues for yourself and tell me, is it suicide, is it murder, is it foul play, is it an accident? And what did you do to come to those deductions? So, in Kitchen 1944... So the representation of the scene is, while her cake was cooling, Robin Barnes decided to kill herself. She made the kitchen all right by stuffing newspaper in the door cracks, turned on the stove, and waited. According to her husband, she had been depressed for a long time, but how curious it seems that she decided to commit suicide in the middle of making dinner. And then obviously you see like a cake coming out of the oven, you see that she was in the middle of stuff, you see the ironing, you see the dishes, and again everything is so detailed, and then again you need to pay attention to how the body looks. So if you look in particular details, you can see that Lee used red nail polish to make pools and splatters of blood. So again, unlike miniature killer and CSI, she didn't use real blood, okay? Just, just, she didn't go fucking completely grim and go into those autopsies to, you know, take like real blood. She crocheted the tiny teddy bear herself so that the future investigators wonder why and how it landed on the floor. Also, she paid attention to how the floor even would fade over time, which again is great if you have investigators looking for like shotgun shell, for example, just trying to, for example, trace the bullet trajectory. So she even paid details to those things. She would need and sew the toy chairs as well to the exact state of disarray. So if anything was to be broken or torn apart, you could also see it on the scenes. And obviously you need to pay attention to things like windows and doors. Is it open? Does that mean it's a sign of a fourth century? And then compare that to the statement that you have from the witness as well. Going back to some of you haters who by now are probably like, well, you know, my great-great-great-grandma couldn't have done this because Francis was rich and obviously only a rich person could have done this. Yes, these miniatures did cost between $3,000 and $4,500. It's all about what we choose to do with the resources we have. Cool. Once students would be presented with these dioramas, they would have 90 minutes to study the scene, 
They would have the initial witness statement from the time of the original investigation, because again, as I mentioned, those were based on the real cases, so you're testing real people on real cases. They would have a flashlight and a magnifying glass. And after they were asked to present the analysis of their observations, and whether the witness statements were true, and the case itself was the result of homicide, suicide, or was it an accident. And then everything would end at the banquet of the Ritz. Like, everything... I wish I lived during that time. No, I I was supposed to be born for the 21st century. But, (laughs) listen, I wish, like, I lived during that time just to see a badass bitch just change it all. And 18 of these dioramas are still used for training purposes by Harvard Associates in Police Science. For her work, she was made the honorary captain in the New Hampshire State Police. I just love this so much. In October 1943, making her the first woman to join the International Association of Chiefs of Police. There's this picture which is like her and like 100 other cops and she's the only woman there. And I was just like, yo, this woman is goals. Is, is goals, is what we should all aspire to be. It's just so powerful seeing like a black and white picture of just a badass woman just being surrounded by 100 men who probably fucking hate that she's there. And she's like, yeah, I deserve it though. So this is, this is well deserved. Have you done, what have you done with your life? <laughs> Pretty sure I'm better than all of you. Bye. What I find one of the most impressive things about Lee is that she always wanted to test the bias towards marginalized people. So usually she would represent the living conditions and just the working class people in general. And she worked meticulously for this to be an effort and for this to be done in such a way to test the bias of these students. So she would only commit to two dioramas a year. So that again tells you how much money was going into it and also how meticulously and how long she was working on all of these projects. This is a quote by her. An effort has been made to illustrate not only the death that occurred by the social and financial status of those involved as well as their frame of mind at the time the death took place. End quote. Unfortunately, I actually looked this up and I were only in the Smithsonian in 2017-18 setup, so I don't think that they're there any longer, and I didn't see that they're anywhere else, but I hope, you know, in the future they will be somewhere, they will be presented in a museum so that I can go visit and then possibly, you know, publish it, like, for the channel as well. But the art curators have kind of mentioned that this, unlike the actual true crime scene, this is great for practice and for learning because you can't move things around. You have your magnifying glass, you look at it from all the angles, and you make deductions. So you can't just, you know, move things around like you would do in an actual crime scene, mess evidence up, like, smudge things around. No, you actually just look, observe, interpret the crime scene, make deductions, and go and make your conclusions based on what you have seen and read. And they said this is teaching documentation skills, critical thinking, problem solving, and observation, rather than, again, hundreds of people just trampling over crime scene, making no feasible deductions and getting no closer to solving the crime. So, thanks to her work, she was rightly acknowledged as the mother of forensic science and medicine. And again, there is no question in everybody's mind that has read this, that if, you know, 1800s and 1900s were more enlightened in a way, she would have made one sick detective, especially for the time, because she was just on top of everything. But I'm glad she didn't, personally, because, again, she spent how many years just doing two miniatures a year, dedicating, like, all of her time 
for people to be able to then analyze these dioramas. So let's step into the shoes of those students for one analysis of such a diorama. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's see how much we fail and how hard this actually was. So the one I found on Reapercast.com is the one called Dark Bathroom. So I'll post the pictures in order. Um of how they have done their analysis. So you have Dark Buff. You have the date, November 18, 1996. Deceased person's name, Maggie Wilson. Witness is Lizzie Miller, a neighbor. Her witness statement is, I roomed in the same house as Maggie Wilson, but knew her only from we met in the hall. I think she had fits, seizures. A couple of male friends came to see her fairly regularly. Wow, this fucking judgmental neighbor. On Sunday night, the men were there and there was a lot of drinking going on. Sometime after the men left, I heard the water running in the bathroom. I opened the door, found her as you see her. And then immediately what strikes you from this picture is the, her position in the bath. Like, this is not how you take a bath. Not, not how you take a bath. Like, your legs are not... You don't go head first. Yeah, it just looks like she has been thrown in there. But there is one thing that I haven't noticed, just even looking from the body or just the surroundings of the body. And this is what makes this woman such a freaking genius. So now let's focus on the actual clues. And this Reapercast article points out at least five. So I'm going to start from the clue number four, just because I'm messed up. But that's the first thing that I have seen here and that has risen sort of my suspicions. And that is how her body was positioned. So here they focused on the legs. And they said the legs appear to be in full rigor mortis, which indicates she may have been moved to the tub. As I mentioned, Frances would focus on, again, every single part of like how these bodies would appear. So they said even if this was an accident and she did fall into the tub because clearly she didn't just take it voluntarily, she was fully clothed and everything, that she died somewhere else and her legs kind of were strained like as she was dying. So once then she was transported, they were still in that rigor mortis stage. And now let's revert to the actual sequence of how they have presented it. So obviously on the floor you see the bottle and the glass. So from what I see, it's clearly somebody is trying to stage the scene as if like she was drinking and then broke it, it was an accident, she flipped back over. So obviously as the investigator, what you should see out of this is that you need to dust it for prints to see and exclude every anybody else in the toilet. In the second, you would really need to zoom in on this one and that's the sink. And the sink contains these things which clearly have some fibers, but it can also contain evidence whether she has just used it, did somebody drain anything, whether she has just refreshed herself, as it says here, possibly as a result of illness from her disorder of alcohol, or whether it will again show that, no, maybe alcohol was drained in this thing, and maybe she wasn't actually drinking it at all. The one thing that you really need to zoom in, because I didn't notice this one either, and that is the tub stopper. So it's right behind and underneath her legs, the tub stopper was not in the tub, which would be logical if somebody was to have been overheard, right? Filling up their bathtub and just wanting to take the bath themselves. And then the final thing that they point that isn't visible from this perspective, but it is obviously, as I mentioned, like there are 3D, and that is the actual body, so not just the legs. And what people should deduce here is that the medical examiner should check the body for any other signs of trauma, so like was there water in her lungs, because that would obviously clearly be that she has died there, but even from the legs you can deduce that she hasn't died in this tub, but has rather been moved. But you need to examine the body for like other blows to the head possibly. 
and then that would finally determine whether it was drowning or whether it was accidental. But even just from looking at this scene, you can kind of see that there was at least foul play involved, and then with the witness statement, you kind of make further deductions. Personally, I would like in, <laughs> I would interrogate the shit out of that witness. I'd be like, okay, exactly at what time did you hear this? Because, yo, she was not feeling that tub, so... Did you hear any glass breaking or anything? When I'm looking deeper into this, I don't think that they have focused on like certain parts of the room as well, which probably, I genuinely think, Frances, every single part of the room has a clue. And I'm particularly thinking about the mirror. The mirror looks like it's vaporized. I'll zoom in on it for you. So again, going back to the witness statement, I'll probably question the witness in this case to see like how long was that hot water possibly running for. And when was this scene of the crime done? Like, Because this mirror looks weird to me. I can't zoom in any further on it, but it does look like it's still vaporized so like how quickly was this discovered in that case does that matter to the case which probably does and then again i would zoom in on different parts of the room so like with the door was the door open and shut because i don't think like everybody focused on these parts also what is that hanging from the wall does the floorboarding show something like blood spatter and stuff you know go full on dexter on this and this is it you can just get lost in this completely completely consumed there are other ones that i'll post in the sources box on the Reapercast, there's a couple of them that they have analyzed i just found this interesting because this is not like a super popular one of hers and when i noticed the thing with the legs i was like oh boy boy this is this is good she she deceived me as well so the moral of this story today is even if you were born rich you you can still become a badass bitch and people don't have to hate you you can still change the world you just invest that money smartly and fill in the goddamn gap in the market yeah even today even though it's 2020 and you might think what is the gap in the market you find it there's like so much literally <laughs> literally everything needs to be fixed okay justice system so many gaps in the market so much thing that needs to be fixed so hey if you're rich this is a call to all of you rich people fix the freaking world yeah but until you do that you know one motive at a time I'm gonna escort myself out of this minisode and I'll see you cyber see you hear you here back on Monday and up until then, <laughs> bye fuckers.